Whale Vomit guys, we are back. This is the only podcast currently available on the internet. I am Sam Chris in London. I'm Amberly Frost in Brooklyn. And how are you doing, Amber? How's the weather? Um, it's quite shitty. Uh, we had, it wasn't really a blizzard in that there was a lot of snow accumulation. It was like that it snowed and then it rained and then the rain froze and then it snowed again and then it rained and then that froze. Uh, and so it's like a, it was like a shitty fucking, like, just sheets of ice covering the entire city, and, uh, everyone's car got stuck, and when you went outside, it was like tiny bits of glass were being thrown in your face. Um, but it's pretty, and all the garbage is hidden. Uh, how's London? Uh, London so sucks, but the weather's been nice. Uh, I've looked at it through the window. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then closed the curtains and hid in the dark and hissed at the gap. <laughs> it looks like spring, but it feels like autumn. You know, it's like the uh, last glimmer of sunshine before we finally collapse into Brexit and the entire country falls apart. It is the autumn of humanity. But aren't you people supposed to, like, love the country and all that? You, you're not even enjoying the weather? Uh, no, no. Uh, absolutely everyone is... Uh, now in a kind of constant state of panic about politics, which is wonderful because it means that we'll be listening to us now. Good. All right. Yes, we got a profiteer. Yeah, we've had uh, quite a lot of news this week. We did. Uh, it's great. It's been an interesting one. I think we're trying. Uh, we're trying segments for the first time for our second episode, um, and our first segment is going to be uh, the Fortnite in review at home. And home for us counts for a very large area. Uh, yeah, yeah, the leader of the SNP is uh, trying to get a, another independence referendum for Scotland. Uh, and I feel like this time, if it happens, they'll almost certainly go for it. The rest of Britain is kind of slowly collapsing into a bog of its own shit and malice and misery. Um, so it's going to be a much harder pitch to get anyone to stay in the UK this time because when they had the last referendum in 2014, the uh, the general pitch was, hey, stay in Britain, you'll get economic security, a strong pound, you can stay in the European Union and there'll be no dangerous nationalism around to ruin your life, um, which was kind of... And then they were like, never mind. <laughs> it was almost like a manifesto of what they were going to fuck up over the next two years. I mean, but you said, like, it was already, like, this was already anticipated as a, like, an unintended consequence of the Brexit, or, you know, is, is the UK freaking out? It's just one other um, stage in our kind of long national dissolution, which has been going for a while. I mean, you know, like, like it's kind of like uh, everything in the country is now working by opposites. You know, we uh, laid out a promise to Scotland of exactly why they should stay in the country, and then proceeded to get rid of absolutely everything in it and ever since then there's been this kind of really fanatical reassertion of britishness you know british goods british values british jobs this kind of ghastly tweed dystopia where everything's covered in bunting <laughs> uh, and we're you know rediscovering all of our old ethnic hatreds and sexual repressions uh, the civil service for instance has been quietly referring to its uh, post-brexit trade plan as empire 2.0 on the assumption that uh, all of the countries where we used to 
you know, go in and massacre everyone. They can't wait to buy all of the financial products that we're now trying to sell them. And they're just calling an empire, which is an excellent optic. Yeah, oh yeah. Liam Fox, who's a cabinet minister, he uh, tweeted about a week ago, uh, the United Kingdom is one of the few countries in the European Union that does not need to bury its 20th century history, uh, which is kind of radically false, given that what the UK did with its 20th century history as it was decolonizing from uh, all of its African and Asian possessions was a kind of industrial document burning operation where we took all of the records of our genocides and mass arrests and uh, constant massacres and shipped them over to the UK to be burnt in an enormous pile. And then some of them were buried in concrete and sunk in the bottom of the ocean. Um, but the best thing about that was there was a uh, news interview with him in which the uh, the presenter challenged him with what he had said, and he denied having ever tweeted that statement, while on the screen behind him, the tweet was in enormous words behind him as he said that he'd never said it. That's fabulous. Um, he should have said his account but, but was yeah, hacked, I, I... <laughs> and then they would have leaked all yeah, the DMs the, uh... to 15-year-old girls, and I mean, it's only a matter of time. The, the, my account was hacked. I do not think that Britain can build a trade surplus by exporting low homie gay ass. <laughs> yeah, I, but like all of this um, kind of, you know, this really horrifying emergence of like the crudest strain of British nationalism into the mainstream. I, you know, I feel like there, there's some kind of work being concealed here, which is that the, we're doing it so much more because we realise that Britain is essentially over. Like as a country, it's finished. Scotland's going to go. Northern Ireland has a Sinn Féin majority now, and they're going to try and achieve reunion with Ireland because the alternative would be like a hard border in Ireland. Wales might get independence as well, and there'd just be this kind of awful, impoverished English rump state continuing to call itself the United Kingdom in the same way that Serbia called itself Yugoslavia until 2003. And like talking about reasserting this empire as, you know, the rest of the world kind of holds a pillow over our face are there are there welsh separatists because that's that's funny to me oh yeah yeah there are welsh separatists <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> they used to uh they used to burn down uh like holiday homes owned by english people in wales that's okay that's actually cool but um, <laughs> i like, like, you could, like, there's no, like, 500-metre-square patch of land in Europe without a separatist movement. You know, there, there are Corsican separatist terrorists who, have, who, like, do far more terrorist attacks in France than ISIS do. I mean, what did you do, like, though, to them? I mean, you did, uh, you filmed Doctor Who there? The, the atrocities that have been inflicted mm -hmm. on Wales... Are, are you know well, I mean, I mean, Doctor Who was a was a weapon in the uh, general Welsh dream of destroying the UK by making us look ridiculous. <laughs> well, I think you did all right on that by yourself. It seems like they'd leave. I mean, if I was Scottish, I yeah, yeah. Uh, Britain is basically over, you know, because you have these kind of anti-nationalist currents on the left who are very ready to believe that, you know, the English are the worst thing in the world, which we are, uh, and that everyone would do just fine without us. They seem to now think that the SNP are going to build socialism in Scotland, which they will not do. It's going to be... Like, uh, like yeah. you know, they've been in power in Scotland for quite a few years now, and they've basically just been implementing austerity. 
and they've been very happy to act like the kind of neoliberal party they are. So, I mean, you know, like a post-Britain Scotland will... It will still be cold, everyone will still be murdering everyone, and it will all be deep-fried. They're going to turn Loch Ness into boiling oil and just dip every citizen into it. I would say, like, my condolences for the end of your empire, but neither of us really care. Um, I mean, it's dying in the most ridiculous way possible, which is, you know, good, because it was never a, mm-hmm. a venture worthy of respect. You know, like, um, it, like, like it, it's not... It's not so much like Britain is slipping on a banana peel and dying. We're deliberately walking onto the banana peel, shouting, this won't kill me. It's a very weird uh, thing from the outset, because I, I can't imagine that people who voted for the Brexit would be in favour of losing a country full of white people <laughs> from the UK. <laughs> so, yeah, we the US has been sort of uh, blessed, though, um, with... Um, a much more sort of comical indicator of our decline. Uh, I told you about this earlier, the Fat Leonard scandal. Oh, this is fantastic. I've never... I, I only, I only never just found out about this tonight. I've been so pleased it's to read an article. It's the best news in the world. It's really incredible. It's so good. It's so good. First of all, the U.S. military has always been a, a vehicle for sex tourism anyway. Even, like, the second wave feminists, one of their big critiques of the military, which I think has gone away, which is kind of weird, was that soldiers and... I'm sorry, sailors. Yes, they're called sailors. Uh, actually um, are extremely exploitative of, of in, particularly, in particular, the women... Um, of the countries they have ports in or whatever. I'm just glad we're getting back to that as a country. You know, Trump hasn't uh, hasn't started any wars yet, um, but it's good to know that the backbone of the military, which is a bunch of disgusting, fat, gross, you know, high-ranking officers uh, just being the worst human beings you could possibly imagine, being like frat boys on spring break, I'm glad that that's still there because it's such that's so foundational to American empire. Well, I mean, I mean, Trump did say that he would restore the military to its former glory, uh, by which, like, I, I assume he meant, like, you know, interfering with the anuses of women in many foreign countries, right? Absolutely. I, like, but yeah, I, I guess we should we should uh, outline for people who don't yet know what actually happened. Uh, um. <laughs> well. The indict that's the problems because the indictment is kind of vague. Um, my favorite line from it though is historical memorabilia related to General Douglas MacArthur were used by the participants in sexual acts. So mm-hmm. someone definitely took General Douglas MacArthur's corncob pipe and put it in someone's orifice. That definitely happened. I I I would bet everything I own on it. And yeah, well, I mean, it's I mean, like looking, looking at a picture of MacArthur's pipe, it looks like a sex toy that he's using wrong by putting it in his mouth. He looks like yeah. he's kind of sucking on a really unorthodox dildo. Yeah, yeah, uh, and I think we had some dispute over which end they used, and honestly, I'm not sure. <laughs> it could go either way. Uh, I, I think it's definitely the corncob pipe. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I think it's uh, the short and thick part. You know, and any. 
No true man of the US <laughs> Navy would ever dare to introduce such a long and thin item into a woman's orifice. Uh, like, like, it would be unbecoming of the service. I mean, maybe they wouldn't want to look small by comparison. Well, I mean, if that's the case and they don't belong in the US Armed Forces... I mean, I mean maybe, I, maybe like, they're, they're like, well... I, I, swear, like, I swear when you want to join um, the, the US Armed Forces, <laughs> yeah, but these are you have to do a... This is the yeah, yeah, Navy. Yeah. So, like, you know, if you're long and thick, you go in the Army. If you're short and thin, then you go in the Air Force. And if you're long and thin, you go in the Navy. That, that, that's how branch selection oh, works. Oh, I think you figured it out, yeah. Yeah, excluding, like, special service things, like, you know, excluding, like, the Marines. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're all... They're all six and shit. Well, yeah, they're all castrated to be the perfect warriors. <laughs> uh... Okay, so this is from the Financial Times. Nine U.S. Navy officers, including a rear admiral, by the way, I love that they're called that, have been charged in a widening bribery scandal featuring sex field parties, 2,000 bottles of cognac, and a corrupt contractor whose 350-pound girth earned him the nickname Fat Leonard. (laughs) Where to start? Like, where to start? This group of uh, corrupt naval officers, they're... uh... Their nicknames, uh, the Wolfpack, which is from the Hangover movies, uh, the Cool Kids, which is from the people that they wanted to be but never were, uh, yeah. the Brotherhoods, because they're racist, uh, <laughs> and then they called themselves the Lion King's Harem, because they didn't realise what the word harem means. They're <laughs> just getting fucked by lions. <laughs> it's so good. Yeah, yeah. And the thing is, they probably would have <laughs> gotten away Navy. with this. We got fucked by lions. <laughs> They probably would have gotten away with this, but apparently, like, they overbuild the Navy by, like, tens of millions of dollars. Because you know it's not the, like, cognac cigar shoving pipes into women's orifices thing. You know it's 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 just the overbilling. It's because, it, it's because the, the books looked bad. The rest of this shit would have never come to light uh, had, <laughs> had, had there not been an overbilling. <laughs> Uh, one, at one point, there was like a. Let's see here. In Hong Kong, um, they had a one day $20,435 uh, tab uh, a day after they got an ethics briefing. <laughs> it just it just rules. This is the best thing. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to ride this just forever. I'm going to follow this trial. Also, look at these ghouls. Yeah, no, if you get a chance, look at, uh, look at pictures of Admiral Bruce Loveless and Fat Leonard, who, who are two of the most astoundingly weird-looking people I've ever seen in my life. The, the, Admiral, the Admiral looks like someone's just kind of taken his head by the hair and just pulled it upwards and stretched it out. Yeah, he's very elongated. He looks like a kind of string cheese. Um, and he's got the kind of, like, the the wimpiest grin. The, the wimpy grin of a man who refers to him and his friends as the cool kids or the lion's harem. Yeah, yeah, it's truly horrifying. Fat Leonard, meanwhile, genuinely looks like he's dying. Like, like, um, like, like you, know, you know that edited photo of Steve Bannon that was going around, which just kind of made him look slightly more grim and unhealthy? That's Fat Leonard. Yeah, yeah. But Steve Bannon is going to, like, just uh, dissolve. Fat Leonard is going to explode. Like, his heart is going to explode. Steve Bannon will dissolve if, like, if you pour salt on Steve (laughs) Bannon, then he will kind of froth and die. (laughs) He's like a slug. 
This is confusing though because they have uh yeah, it's Leonard Glenn Francis is is the is the fat Leonard. Um but apparently uh, uh Bruce Loveless because they can't call it the Loveless scandal because that would be too much. <laughs> they went straight to well, fat Leonard. It's a great Leonard. case of uh, nominative determinism. <laughs> it's like they're in Singapore buying like foie gras, oxtail soup, cognac. Although I, you, you get oxtail soup for cheap here. I get your oxtail soup for three dollars here in West Indian Brooklyn. But you know, people don't know what that is. And uh, cigars at two thousand dollars a box. I, I love hearing about their meals. Oh, Cetra caviar, pan-seared duck liver with pear and sunchoke, black truffle soup, rock lobster salad, Dover sole, grilled wagyu beef t- tenderloin, cheeses, and baked Alaska. <laughs> it's it's amazing. like an ad for the hotel. <laughs> uh, I, I love the, the Daily Mail headline, which says, um, they drank a hotel dry of Dom Perignon as a gauze on foie gras and cigars, with the implication that they've been eating the cigars. They probably did. I mean, these people are, yeah, are well, not Yeah, well, a pipe in one end and a cigar in the other, right? <laughs> they're, just, they're just tobacco out of every orifice. <laughs> Double dipping. Yeah. Uh, so I'm, I'm overjoyed at this. Um, I've... I, nothing... Something that embarrasses the military is always good. It's always good. I think if we... You know, if militaries are going to get loads of money, this is probably the best way for them to spend it. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's much better than on something, you know, they're going to use to kill people with. Yeah. I I don't think the Fat Leonard sex parties, uh, unfortunately, occur at... Um, at the uh, expense of uh, wars abroad, but maybe if they had more of them. Mm. I mean, there is a chance that if Fat Leonard eats any more uh, of the caviar and truffles, it could kill yeah, him. Yeah, that's true. It's a slow death. This is a, a glorious story. Uh, I, I, I just, I beg you all to Google MacArthur's corn cob pipe. Um, it's the it's the most significant image of 2017 and the most significant object of 2017. I'm <laughs> calling it now. It's fantastic. MacArthur rides again. Yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. So like, I've basically been doing nothing but like refreshing every story about Fat Leonard for the past 48 hours. But apparently, you know, other things have been happening in <laughs> other places. Uh, the travel ban. Now is a big one. Yeah, yeah. Trump had another go at his uh, Muslim ban, uh, which was struck down by uh, U.S. courts for being a Muslim ban. And this time, it was uh, struck down in a case against the state of Hawaii, I think, uh, which challenged it on the grounds that it was exactly the same thing. And the court had to agree because members of Trump's cabinet had been tweeting while it was being rolled out. Guys, don't worry. This is exactly the same thing. So, um, They're so stupid at rules. Yeah, no, it's, it's fantastic. Well, like, I, I remember when the first Muslim ban was being rolled out, there are a lot of people on the left who, well, who claim to be on the left, who are pulling this kind of, no, you don't understand, this is part of Bannon's secret plan. He wants you to oppose it so that next time he can do it better. You're all being played by a master chess master. And no, they're just fucking idiots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But even if that was his plan, that's a stupid plan. And you should still be horrified by it. Like, what? What is? What is the natural conclusion of that conspiracy theory? You should just. Oh, okay. Well, let's actually allow a Muslim ban. That's gonna get him. <laughs> then he won't know what to do. 
Uh, I, th- I think the idea is if you go to three protests and you change your mind and switch over to the other side. I mean, like, like a lot of these people seem to kind of, you know, they, they seem to really believe that politics is uh, like House of Cards and that everyone's got a kind of secret devilish plan underneath the surface of things. And it's all a game of, you know, trying to work out what other people really want. And what the government wants at the moment is to bash its head repeatedly into a wall until one of them breaks. Um, like, like there were people who did behave like that. Like Hillary Clinton also thought that she was living in House of Cards and she kept on doing all these kind of clever little plans. Like, I know, why don't we get the Republicans to nominate Donald Trump? And then that way he'll be much easier to beat. And it didn't work because she was also an idiot. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, I, I think like, like people need to realize that idiots can get their way and idiots can be very dangerous. Um, but it doesn't stop them being the most laughably stupid imbeciles. Um, well, I think also we have like a really stupid idea of what intelligence is. Um, and Mm. the fact that we sort of fetishize, uh, I don't know, book learning, uh, and a certain type of like civic diligence that it, you know, it, it, it precludes the sort of intelligence um, which allows a person to, let's say, convince a large number of people that he will improve their lives when, in fact, uh, he will not. Uh, I'm not going to say there's not a certain type of intelligence to Donald Trump. Now, he is President Baby. He is a complete idiot. <laughs> uh, but, you know, interpersonally... I mean, he's... Donald Trump looked human. Wow. Um, actually, can, can, I, can I read out the uh, first lines from Donald Trump's speech on the travel ban okay, being struck down? Okay, he's not a good he orator, said, uh, I said that. But he looks human. He looks human. <laughs> he said, I issued an executive order, Trump starts, but let me give you the bad news. We don't like bad news. I'll turn it into good. But let me give you the bad the sad news. Batman's president. Yeah, president baby. There was one case, which I think is like the opposite kind of stupidity, but I do remember uh, a couple years back, David Cameron, when he was prime minister, gave a speech in which he said, there's a danger that things could come to a shuddering halt, and if they do, they will come to a juddering halt, which only only an Eton and Oxbridge education can give you that. Wow. Yeah, but he has an accent, so Americans can't tell when he's saying something idiotic. Well, yeah, I mean, this is why you people like Sherlock. I don't. Say what you will about me. Uh, I am needlessly chauvinistic against any of the major European countries. Uh, without reason or, or um, you know, any kind of factual basis either. That's, and that, in many ways, is the foundation of this podcast. Well, I mean, the thing about being European is that you're not only a ridiculously chauvinistic about every other European country, but you have a reason. <laughs> I don't have a reason. I don't need one. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's it's not like... I, I think it's comforting to people to, to believe that there's... Um, it's like a security thing. It's like, oh, well, you know, actually they're, like, super intelligent. It's like, no, you know, they, they have, like, certain skills uh, which, you know, tend to put them in power. Uh, they didn't completely just trip over their dicks and end up controlling, you know, like every fucking facet of American government. Uh, but they're they're proper dumb. 
They're uh, they're super fucking dumb. Well, um, um, Umberto Eco says something quite similar about conspiracy theory. You know, like once you, once a world no longer has its anchor in God and His plan for the universe, people will kind of search around for for another kind of, you know, structuring element that can make just a kind of sheer contingency and idiocy of the world make sense. And so they'll end up going for lizard people or the Illuminati or whatever because it the doesn't idea really matter if it's malign. Is really smart. Yeah, yeah. Like, like it, it doesn't really matter whether or not the person in charge is, you know, uh, trying to bring you into heaven or trying to kill you. As long as there's a person in charge, people want to know there's kind of some structure to the world. Whereas, like, you, like generally, their very contingent structures are constantly falling into chaos, um, and that's that's been the nature of modernity. But people have a very hard time accepting that and so they'll right. believe things like donald trump is actually playing with our heads rather than yeah. donald trump is playing with his dick and not <laughs> doesn't really know what he's doing but people respond i mean like not a ton of people but a significant enough portion of people to elect him president respond to a man playing with his dick in public very well oh yeah because uh <coughs> Because they just see it as a greater, grander version of what they do every day. Mm-hmm. Like, plays with his dick, but in gold. <laughs> I'd like to upgrade to that. <laughs> well, Silicon Valley has its way. So, that that concludes the Fortnite in review at home, I think. Yeah, um, that's least, what's been happening. everything that we've been reading about, uh, which are the only things that matter. Um, but, yeah... Uh, I think now we should move on to our Fortnite in review abroad. Yeah, yeah, Europe. Um, yeah. So I mean, I mean, this is kind of ongoing as we record, uh, but there's been uh, an election in the Netherlands, uh, which was which is a country generally for my American yeah. listeners. That's a country. Well, it's technically a country. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, a swamp. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the kind of uh, grotesque candidate of the far right, uh, Geert Wilders, uh, his party, the Freedom Party, was expected to be the largest in Parliament, and it looks like it's not, which is, um, on the face of it, a good thing, until you kind of realise what the other parties are actually all about. But I think uh, I think we should you know, just talk for a moment about what a incredibly grotesque man Hit Wilders is. He's so Dutch, he looks like he's actually been moulded out of Edam. <laughs> there, there's something kind of... I, actually, about, like, all far-right politicians, basically across the Western world, there's this kind of very terrifying tendency for them to be very orange. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm not I mean, sure exactly of, like, what Nigel that Farage is, but is orange, real. Wilders is orange. But Wilders, the weird thing about him is that he doesn't look like a major Bond villain. He looks like a lower tier guy that gets knocked off for accidentally leaking information to Bond. Like, he's, he's very second string. In a lot of ways, he looks like the kind of the hero's unassuming sidekick. He's got that kind of like, he's got that round, squeezy face. A squeezy face. Yeah. As in meant well, yeah, to be like, squeezed, like... <laughs> to be squoozed. It looks like you could kind of grab one of his cheeks and then pull back your arm and it'll just stretch out. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, um, strange skull shape. Give me a read on his skull shape. 
Yeah, I mean, like, it's a lot wider at the top than it is at the bottom. Um, mm -hmm. It's slightly uh, triangular, it, it, I would say. Yeah, he's got he's got a head like a like um like a kettle, I would say. Like a like a like an electric kettle. Okay. I mean the hair does no does him no yeah. favors. This strange European mullet thing. Yeah. I mean I think this might actually be the most menacing man that Netherlands is capable of producing at the moment. Yeah, I mean he's a giant piece of shit though. It it's just very weird to me that like that uh you have such a diversity of of like right parties in European countries like it's like and so like you're like oh the the, the Nazis didn't win the slightly less Nazis <laughs> won yay and then we all have to be excited about that guys it's Nazis versus fascists <laughs> who will win it's shirts versus skins and and you just you don't really care well well yeah I mean like like there's a lot of people celebrating over the fact that you know this kind of oompa loompa person hasn't he, his isn't the largest party in parliament but uh, i think that's kind of missing the point a little of what a lot of this politics does you know ukip in the uk for instance has never managed to win a a parliamentary seat outright it's only been defections i think and nonetheless they've got literally everything they ever wanted and how these parties generally tend to work is what they do is they Rather than winning themselves, they kind of uh, capture these very reactionary energies uh, and then they make the mainstream parties move to the right and start to kind of adopt their language and their postures, which, uh, like, it was happening not just with the Conservatives, who have essentially rebranded as a kind of giant UKIP in the UK, but, like, even the Labour Party in 2015, the leader unveiled a large stone with his campaign promises on it, one of which was uh, controls on migration. A large were... stone? Wait, a physical stone? Oh, yeah, yeah. He uh, he kind of... Like Moses? A, few, a, few, <laughs> a physical stone. A few days before the election, he, he unveiled <laughs> a large rock which had been carved with four election promises. Oh, my God. Even Moses had at least 10 points. And he's like, you know what? It's too much. People can't handle it. And his promise was that he would move it into the garden at Downing Street so that he would be reminded of it. <laughs> that's so lame. Oh, my God. That's the funniest thing I ever heard. That's so like, oh, it's going to be like Mad Max. And it's like, no, you're just like a loser. <laughs> Uh, I mean, what was fantastic about it was that he unveiled it with, you know, he invited all of the journalists around and showed them this large stone and really expected the entire country to go, you know what, that's a fantastic idea. Uh, and instead they uh, laughed at him for about seven days straight and then voted the Tories in and then we got Brexit. Was the so, stone thanks, phallic? You know, I'm going to have to find a picture of it. I, I remember reading something about how I think they broke it up and turned it into pebbles for someone's driveway. But... <laughs> uh, no, no, it so was not good. phallic. It was, uh, it, was, it was square. It was like a, a kind of a steel. It's a terrible design. It's neither tablet nor phallus. It's just a fucking cube. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it looks like a kind of enormous sheet of paper that he's standing in front of. Oh, my God. Yeah. What's wrong with um, these people? But, like, like this is why the the centre-left are kind of losing everywhere. Because, uh, because instead of kind of 
working with any kind of genuinely left-wing populist politics. They'd rather do stunts like stand in front of a big stone. The Dutch Labour Party in tonight's election has had a catastrophic fall in its vote share. It's, I think it's got its uh, smallest electoral representation ever in its history. Uh, let me try and find the numbers here. It's not even on the top five. But yeah, like the like social democratic parties are basically being hollowed out across Europe. And I think that the reason you see the kind of far right in ascendancy is not even necessarily because more people believe in the far right or, or more people are being gravitated towards its ideas. It's that the constituency which would normally vote for social democratic parties has basically since 1989 been systematically wiped out and uh, and the possibility for a kind of vague socialist politics has uh, has been deliberately extinguished and and these people don't vote because you know they consider because voting is being presented as just being another consumer choice among consumer choices and if you don't like the results that you're getting, then why would you participate? Like the Labour Party in the UK, uh, its vote share declined by millions every year that they were in power. Um, and now, obviously, it's being blamed on Corbyn. But the result in the Netherlands, I think, is, um, is similarly um, an example of the kind of thing that would have happened if Corbyn weren't leader. You would probably be wiped out in pretty much the same manner. Yeah, well, the, I th- the Corbyn backlash from your media, by the way, is just like yeah. your supposed left media is so like tragic in the sense that like the, the imagine their imaginations are so limited. It's like, no, 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 we just need a stronger leader. And and then it's just, oh, it's been very depressing to yeah. watch a lot of your cowardly, sneveling British media colleagues. <laughs> To an extent, they're right. I mean, you know, Corbyn's become very toxified. But I feel like that was always what he was meant to do. He was meant to kind of, you know, ride into the party, our avenging angel with a flaming sword and chop the head off every Blairite he could see. And then everyone would hate him, but he would at least completely transform the party. And then when he went, the left could take over. Um, the problem with Corbyn is not that he's he's too radical. No, he's yeah, just bumbling yeah. about his garden. But, like, you weren't going to get... You weren't going to get liberated by the fucking no. Labour Party anyway. Like that was not going to be. I mean, like that's that's such a that's such a limited imagination to to be like, well, Corbyn is the problem. It's like no, Corbyn was not going to be the solution, yeah. so therefore well, yeah, he could I mean, not be I mean, the problem. The... He's just some guy bumbling around in his garden, right, growing. He's an old man who would rather not gourds. be in the job. Um, but the problem the problem is not Corbyn. The problem is that. Yeah. We don't really know how to make electoral socialism work in an era where no one votes for socialist parties. You know, if you're gonna if you're gonna take the parliamentary road to socialism, you definitely need someone voting for you, and that's just not happening anymore, Be- because because the entire political terrain has shifted. Right. I just have to say though, my favorite part about the about the Netherlands election, making it back into the news, is my 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 favorite. European politician. He was instrumental. He was in the Eurogroup, and I followed uh, the uh, the the Greek financial crisis like absurdly closely because it was like this like David and Goliath thing. It was like can can a small country beat? And they couldn't. They couldn't. They could not beat. (laughs) It was it was incredibly tragic. Mm. However, but um, one of the people in the Eurogroup was is my has my favorite name, Jaron (laughs) Jizzlebloom. 
Yeah, he's the labor finance minister of the Netherlands, and he's, of course, like an austerity piece of shit. And his last name sounds like um, a flower of semen. I'm always happy oh, to see God. his name. It's true. Um, and yet, they all seem so humorless. You'd think with the wacky names, they would lighten the fuck up. Uh, basically, everyone in the Netherlands seems to have a name, like a kind of a sound effect in a comic book. Well, 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 yeah, I guess this is relevant to an open letter that the previous and now continuing Prime Minister of the Netherlands, Mark Rutte, wrote to the electorate, which I think kind of exemplifies why people should not be happy that this piece of shit has won. He wrote that those people who refuse to adapt and who criticise our values should act normally or leave. And I think act normally is a weird thing to say when you live in a country where the normal attire is wooden shoes. They all wear wooden shoes every day all the time and you once had an economic crisis over tulips <laughs> every, every single person in the netherlands operates a windmill and they're telling us to act normally <laughs> yeah no i agree wooden shoes just seem like a very very impractical choice it's a very cold country it's not insulated <laughs> um that's everything i know about the netherlands uh, and I refuse to learn more. I refuse to learn more. It's below sea level. I mean, I mean, like, like now that the Nazis didn't win there, we can kind of, we don't have to pay so much attention to it anymore. And they can continue just kind of uh, harassing and dispossessing migrants and just, yeah. you know, generally being awful to, and, and implementing austerity with a kind of, uh, I, I, like, I think what's likely to happen is that you'll get a kind of national coalition of basically all the major centre-right and centre-left parties who will just kind of band together to just make life steadily worse and worse and worse and ensure that next time the Nazis do win. So uh, look out for the Netherlands in about five years' time. Yeah, I have to say, speaking of uh, the Eurogroup, uh, apparently of the election... Angela Merkel tweeted, Netherlands, oh Netherlands, you're a champion. <laughs> Which is the most, the most, the Rhine gives its gold to the sea, fucking Teutonic, oh terrifying, ominous kind of tweet you can possibly make. <laughs> she was wearing a dirndl when she tweeted that. <laughs> it's horrifying. <laughs> she was standing on top of a mountain with her arms spread wide. Exactly. Netherlands, oh Netherlands, you're a champion. That's Jesus fucking Christ, lady. Uh, Netherlands, you wonderful people. The Nazis are only the second biggest party in your parliament. <laughs> Fantastic job. Yeah. Uh, this co this whole continent deserves to sing. <laughs> I mean, it, it, with any luck. I mean, the way things are going. Yeah. <laughs> but of course, like... First, yeah. all the beautiful animals will die, uh, and then, like, people in, like, Bangladesh will die, and then it'll take a very long time before it gets to, you know, jizzle blow them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, God will kill the Europeans last. Okay, and now for our yes, uh, third and final segment. That's uh, yes, uh, a new rotating art? section where we uh, look at uh, some of the cultural detritus of the world and answer the age-old question is it art though uh and this week it's a uh it's sexual health ads on the new york city subway mm -hmm. uh so new york uh, uh, is just rife with stds i mean everywhere you shouldn't even ride the subway uh so like obviously do not go outside <laughs> if you must go outside put a bag over your head 
Someone will try to fuck you. <laughs> NYC is DTF. So, like, obviously there's a lot of, like, public health initiatives. And a lot of those get, you know, advertised on the subways. Historically, they've been pretty bad. Um, my favorite one uh, was, I think, sometime last year. There was a, a big... There was a big syphilis explosion, and I call it a syphilis explosion. Best kind of explosion. <laughs> because that's what the poster called it. This was from this wasn't from the city, it was from the AIDS Healthcare Foundation. <laughs> but I urge you to look it up. I think Sam I sent you this, but it shows uh, a volcano in the middle of the ocean and a sort of like biblical red sky behind it, and it says syphilis explosion freestdcheck.org uh, no human beings were featured in this it's not a particularly good piece of propaganda it's very alienating uh, yeah because apparently uh, between 20 20- oh shit <laughs> I'm looking at it now and you know it's so biblical isn't it you know it? what it looks like it looks like the front cover of Dianetics by L. Ron Hubbard <gasps> it does it's got the exact same volcano it does and, like, it, looks because... like, it looks like cult propaganda <laughs> And and also also from from what I what, what I can see of the posters, it literally just says syphilis explosion without telling you how you're meant to feel about yeah, it. Yeah, it's it's not a good piece of propaganda. Um, and yeah, keep in mind there's it's almost a, like it's advertising um, syphilis. I mean, it looks like very powerful syphilis. <laughs> from 2012 to 2014, there was I think in New York City, or maybe maybe it was. I don't know if it was, if it was New York City or, or if it was like the whole country, but there was a 175% spike in syphilis. So, <laughs> I, explosion may in fact be an accurate <laughs> way to describe it, but it is not a maybe productive way to describe it from a public health standpoint. So recently, the, the city of New York has come up with a campaign with all these posters. They're all they're all very cute. They're all very cute kind of images. One has a, a, a um, picture of bunk beds, and it says top, bottom, versatile. We've got you covered. There's a lot of gay innuendo in them. One includes an adorable little piece of pie or perhaps cake that says side piece we've got you covered a, a, a pie with mm-hmm. a face i should yes add. it has a face uh my favorite is there is a, a rather shocked looking cartoon bear and it says bareback <laughs> we've got you covered yeah and there, there there's uh, two little cartoon like you know play school kind of uh toy looking men and one is looking at the other slightly confused while he, you know, sleeps in, in blissful amorousness and says, can't remember their name? We've got you covered. Uh, but all of this sort of looks like a child's, a, li- a little storybook or something. And it's a novel approach. It actually takes a pretty good, I think, direction with representation. Um, I have historically been sort of a critic of, like, representational politics as a as a policy however for things like sexual health you really do have to show people and you have to show gay people this is a campaign for um people who uh enjoy sex and are perhaps um let's say let's say modern urban bon vivants um but it's very cutesy and infantilizing in some ways um 
And so I'm trying to figure out, is it art? Um, I think it's effective propaganda, uh, but that's not the same thing. Yeah, I, I would say it's, it's, it's design, but it's not art. Mm -hmm. uh, I would say that actually the syphilis explosion posters were a lot closer to art. Much closer to um, art. You know, there's a... Yeah. Much closer it's to biblical art, to be honest. Deployment of it the, looks like the end of days. Oh yeah. It's a very skillful deployment of the kind of imagery and tropes of, you know, what, what I think is, you know, the kind of real demotic American art form, which is like the MS Paint collage with text art in it. Uh, it you, you know, it's... it's uh, Reconstructed cut. It's like a meme. No, it's, it's not even necessarily the meme. It's like the reconstructed cut and paste MS Paint concentration of all the vast tissues of of the current Western culture. The syphilis explosion art. You know, it kind of it, it brings together aspects of the movie poster of biblical propaganda. It's very Michael Bay. Yeah, it, it, it's Mi Michael yeah. Bay and, and and Jack Chick all at the same time. <laughs> Um, who, who, who are like between them, you know, like the two, the two cultural poles of, uh, of, of, of the American intellectual world. Whereas the new ads on the subway, I would say that they're not art because while the syphilis explosion one admits a kind of vast variety of interpretations, this one only has, well, it has like a kind of surface interpretation and then it has... Uh, you know, oh, why is this bear sad? And then it has, oh, you can get the joke. And there's not that kind of interpretative freedom that real art, like the syphilis explosion poster, can give you. All right, may I suggest something? Because I do agree with you. Mm -hmm. I believe that by its very nature, as effective propaganda, which I am very glad exists, it is not art because it works. And I think that art should not prevent you from getting STDs. It should, in fact, put you at higher risk for getting STDs. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's very true. Uh, and then as you, as the syphilis rots into your brain, then you produce weirder and weirder art and critics try and work out why you were doing it. Yeah, I mean, Georges Bizet would not have written Carmen if he didn't have, like, a syphilitic brain. Yeah, or, or Nietzsche's wonderful letters from the uh, sanatorium where he declared himself to be the reborn Napoleon and said that he would have all anti-Semites shot, which is some of his best work. Uh, <laughs> and that was all down to the greatest artist in human history, Syphilis Baby. Mm -hmm. it's, truly, it's truly the muse of, of our age. Or an age since past, mm. frankly, which is tragic. Yeah, yeah. Well, th this is why art is no good anymore, because we have a cure for syphilis. And we have, uh, but, but we also have, like, neoliberalism, so everyone has syphilis anyway, even though there's a cure. <laughs> well, yeah, it's a transference from, of syphilis from condition to metaphor, which just kind of mirrors, you know, the, uh, well, it, it kind of, you know, mirrors the transition from modernism to postmodernism. Okay. Yeah. All right. So we're in agreement uh, about that. But there's also um, these... Um, if, you have, uh, if you have a different opinion, you can write in. <laughs> um, there's no way for you to do that. But <laughs> there's no way. <laughs> just, just write a letter and keep Actually, it. Actually, maybe we should do that. Maybe we should m allow people to send us angry, you know, disagreements. Yeah. Um, and be furious at us, and um, yeah, maybe that's maybe we could have a letter segment. 
Um, or we could just uh, read them over the podcast and, and <laughs> eat up time. Yeah, yeah, we could kind of uh, mildly edit them to make our our angry listeners sound a little more stupid than they already are. Yeah, I mean, we will not be kind to your to your criticisms, um, but don't let that stop you. Yeah. Write in at your own risk. Yeah. Um, but then the other thing that's going on on the subways is are, you're aware of the if you see something say something uh, campaign. I am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, yeah, I mean, our, our variants were a lot more bizarre and totalitarian. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was a very famous poster, I think, uh, I think in the wake of the uh, 9-11 attacks here, which had a picture of a London bus on a bridge crossing the Thames with giant disembodied eyes hovering over it and the slogan, Secure Beneath the Watchful Eyes, <laughs> which... Uh, should have told what you the, the direction shit? this country was going in. What the shit? Yeah. I mean, I, it's very juvenile to, uh, I think, bring up Orwell, but when you're that heavy-handed about it, mm. like, you're not even trying. Because everyone's read Orwell here, I can only read it as deliberate. Yeah, it has to um, be, right? And they're like, actually, what if it was good? I mean, there's a, there was an interesting article in um, Full Stop magazine recently, basically exploring the thesis. Actually, the society in 1984 is fine. Like, the only people who don't like it are, are, are like, <laughs> like, it's a couple of, like, kind of, you know, like, essentially petty bourgeois out-of-party bureaucrats who are disgusted by the proletarians who are genuinely benefiting from the society. And, you know, they they want freedom and art and they want to feel things deeply. And it's the same old boring petty bourgeois complaint that's existed throughout history. Except this time, in 1984, what they do is they take these idiot romantics and then they shoot them in the back of the head, which is correct. Um, well, that sounds... Uh like a, a charming theory yeah i think people uh, are and leftists in particularly are really reticent to give orwell any kind of credit because his politics were kind of boof um and they want to know why like their favorite like you know socialist sci-fi dystopia you know blog novel or like commie polemic isn't well, more popular and this is why it's 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 this fucking line or this fucking paragraph. Uh, it's all off, she murmured as soon as she judged it safe to speak. Tomorrow, I mean. What? Tomorrow afternoon, I can't come. Why not? Oh, the usual reason. It started early this time. For a moment, he was violently angry. During the month he had known her, the nature of his desire for her had changed. At the beginning, there had been little true sensuality in it. Their first lovemaking had been simply an act of the will. But after the second time, it was different. The smell of her hair, the taste of her mouth, the feeling of her skin seemed to have got inside him, or into the air all around him. She had become a physical necessity, something that not only he wanted, but felt he had a right to. When she said she should not come, he had the feeling that she was cheating him. But just as this moment the crowd pressed together and their hands accidentally met, she gave the tips of his fingers a quick squeeze that seemed to invite not desire but affection. Okay, so there are writers with better politics, but show me a passage that better captures, like, the crestfallen (laughs) and anguished romance of not being able to fuck because she got her period, and I will eat my hat. And yes, I know people have sex on their period, but he was English. Um, Well, yeah, I think... I think 1984 kind of works as a kind of uh, a portrait of the general uneasiness of 
George Orwell slash Winston Smith with, with other people in the society around him as a kind of prophetic portrait of a future dystopia. It doesn't work at all. No, it doesn't work. It's just a good romantic novel. Uh, and that's the thing. Leftists are mm, not good at It's been at given getting... way too much political importance. Yeah, like, but that's that's what people like. Uh, this is also... I, yeah. which Was it Himmler? Which Nazi said, if you want to sell nationalism to the people, wrap it in a romance? I don't know. Anyway, it's like... Oh, Goebbels. Oh, it was Goebbels? Okay. It, like, everyone gets this except leftists. Everyone gets this except leftists. Well, I, I, mean, I mean, the problem with 1984, though, is that it's not, uh, it's, it's not politics wrapped in a romance. It's a romance wrapped in politics, which uh, tends to attract a kind of very different type of readership. I mean, it can um, attract 15 I mean, I, I tend to think... But that's fine. 15 years... I'd rather have them reading that. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean they, they, they force them to read it here. I mean, I, I think the problem with dystopia is it, it can always be kind of faintly reactionary because what it tends to do is, even when it's being satirical, it'll let the present moment off the hook. It'll kind of create such an exaggerated version of every evil in society that you compare your actually existing society to it and kind of go, oh, well, this is fine. So it doesn't really matter how totalitarian Western states are now, as long as they don't reproduce 1984 in every detail, then, you know, I think that's we, we the, can... I, I think the opposite. I, I mean, I agree with you that, that I think dystopias are reactionary, but I think it's because it, they provide sort of a fantasy scape for people to enjoy them. Because, mm. like, think about how many people thought that, you know, oh, if there was a zombie apocalypse, I would survive. Like, no, you wouldn't, because you mm. watch movies about the zombie apocalypse. People who, you know, watch The Walking Dead every week are, in fact, going to get eaten first. Uh, you know, people, adult human beings who read the Hunger Games stories, which are written for <laughs> children, will immediately die in the Hunger Games. Like, I think they're reactionary because, because they, they present people with a fantasy that they would survive the dystopia. Well, I mean, like in the in the zombie scenario, that like absolutely is a sublimated fantasy, which is why people are so into them. And you know, um, you know, you, you never hear people talking about how they'd survive against you know a vampire or a werewolf. It's always a zombie because it's the kind of primitivist uh, fantasy of you know everything's destroyed, civilization is gone, rule of the strongest, and that fucking neighbour who's been cutting your lawn and straying over the invisible boundary, he's turned into a monster, <laughs> so you get to shoot him right in the fucking face. And, and, and then if you're one of the unlucky ones, then you get to carry on and, being, and be a zombie and eat people's faces. But that's what's so reactionary about these dystopian things, is that they believe is that they, 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 they teach people that you mm. will be one I, of the lucky ones. It's the way yeah, capitalism I, I, every, works. It's like, you well, can I mean, be lucky. dystopia will be one of the unlucky ones. You know, there's never a dystopia without someone kind of sitting there kind of thinking, oh, I'm not like this society. I'm like the society that the reader's from. I share his kind of, uh, or her kind of, you know, uh, you know, prejudices and liberal instincts and, and, I, I, I'm kind of out of tune with my world. I think it's the exact same, like, Steinbeck, like, temporarily embarrassed millionaire philosophy yeah. when people read it, and they're like, I would lead the revolution, I would, and it's... I agree they're reactionary, but for a different reason. Yeah. I mean, I take a kind of Walter Benjamin view, you know, who said that we shouldn't think about uh, catastrophe coming upon a bourgeois society. Bourgeois society is the catastrophe. We're in Agreed. it now, and it's been going for several centuries. Agreed. But there are podcasts. Um, and I guess on that, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, on that pleasant note, there are podcasts. There are moments of joy. Mm -hmm. Yep. 
Grab those by the balls. Have your own Fat Leonard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, yeah. When we when we see you next in two weeks, we expect everyone to be in the navy. Yes, please. Uh, thank you for joining us at Well Violent, the only podcast. There are no other podcasts named when you can't. Good night. Have a good night. Oh, you're